0: Welcome to Crawl Space. I'm Tim here today with Lance in the Crawl Space studios in Wormtown. Lance, how are you today? I could not be better. How are you today, Tim? I'm doing well. And this episode, Lance, it's such a fun conversation with an old friend of ours. His name is Todd Matthews, and he's been on the show before, which we kind of cover in this episode. And we recorded this a while ago, Lance.
1: Yeah, it... it uh. Became a an unexpected, a uh, controversial episode. Certainly not in the subject matter that he spoke about. But I also want to get back to when he was originally on the show. We were connected to Todd through the author Deborah Halber. She wrote the Skeleton Crew, and part of the Skeleton Crew was about Todd Matthews and his. Introduction to the world of citizen sleuthing when he discovered the identity of Tent Girl.
0: And so we recorded this episode back in November and we talk about the American Crime Fest a little bit that never happened. What? And Todd currently is working with the DNA Doe Project. So check them out on social media, the DNA Doe Project. And you can find links to their social media in our show notes.
1: And definitely make sure you check out their social media because that is the
0: department in which Todd is working for the DNA Doe Project. And Todd found fame um, in the Internet sleuthing community and was in that book, The Skeleton Crew, that wonderful book, um, because he helped identify a Jane Doe named Tent Girl who was found in Kentucky by his father-in-law. Sound weird? Well, we're going to break it all down with Todd in the interview.
1: Yep, he identified Barbara Ann Hackman Taylor nearly 30 years after his father in law, who was not his father in law at the time, found her body in 1968. So, 30 years after 1998, just the beginnings of the internet. So, this, this guy was really utilizing every tool possible in order to figure out the identity
0: of Barbara Ann Hackman Taylor. All right, so I hope you liked the interview. Thanks a lot for listening. Welcome back to Crawl Space, Todd Matthews. How are you today, Todd?
2: I'm good. I'm good, Brett. We're enjoying a nice warm day and wait for a blizzard tonight.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Old friend of the show, Todd Matthews. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good to talk to you guys again. Good to talk to you as well. When was the last time you were on? That was, I mean, we're talking years now. Yes.
2: Well, it's probably, I think it was last year, early last year.
0: You were one of the very first guests on Crawl Space. I want to say it was March of 2017.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was yeah. It it was it was still winter, I remember that. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. And I wasn't I wasn't currently
1: living in the place that I'm living now, so it was at least two years ago. Yeah. Oh wow. That yeah.
0: time flew by then. Yep, yeah. time time, as it does. As it does. Yep. And and you were gracious enough to um, be, plan your trip to the American Crime Festival where uh, we were going to put on this uh, festival, and uh, it was going to be a grand old time, and uh, it didn't happen.
1: And it was last weekend, and we had a great time, and your presentation was amazing. You got a uh, at least a 10-minute standing <laughs> ovation, uh, and then you and I enjoyed a cup of coffee out on the boardwalk. What? Oh, I can during, I can during, see it now. During the sunrise. <laughs> <laughs> it,
2: it, well, unfortunately, it didn't work out that well. But I I had two. Uh, there were so many forces trying to keep me from coming to that. So when it was canceled, it was like, okay, let's let's think of some. So I actually was going to try to get a plan B and meet a friend of mine that lives in New Jersey. And then I had a hernia, and I just 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 got off hernia. I would not have physically been able to have taken that trip. So oh wow, I feel better that it canceled me instead of me canceling it because I had um, fairly. Planned surgery on Monday, and by Friday I would not—I can't even lift five pounds right now. So oh,
1: uh, wow,
2: it wow. would have got me anyway. So that that would have been unfortunate because I couldn't have come in the pain that I was in, and certainly not post surgery for a couple of weeks. So wow. uh, it was not meant to be.
1: Well, you—you you sound good. So it sounds like you're recovering well. And you had
0: surgery yeah. last week, a um, a week ago today.
2: It was a week ago today, and wow. uh, yeah, I had some—I had a, quite a few painful days and nights, and it's still—it's still a way away, but. uh um I'm done with the pain meds now. All you know it's all just natural healing at this point. So it's uh it's okay as long as I don't try to overdo it. You know that's it's good.
1: You sent a a, a funny um email to us when we told you about the unfortunate cancellation of the ACF and you said I, I funny I never uh pictured myself there anyway. You said I, I booked the tickets and everything but I never pictured myself there and it made me think With all the planning that we were doing, uh, other than me on the boardwalk at dawn with a coffee, which never was going to happen, which which, Tim was right, never happened. (laughs) Um, When you said that, I was like, oh, you know what? I really never pictured myself there either.
2: (laughs) Well, usually if I'm going on a trip or something significant like it, I can preview in your brain of where you're going to be. I could not see myself there. So that was the funny thing. It's just like something's going to happen. It's is not going to work out for some reason or another. I'm not going to be there.
0: I, I think Wildwood, New Jersey, is too small for you, anyway, Todd. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's big fish in a little pond. Yeah.
2: Oh uh, no, it, it's probably bigger in the little town I'm living in. Yeah,
0: but your your
1: gravitas <laughs> is uh, much uh, much larger than Wildwood could handle.
2: I couldn't imagine. I, I thought, why did they pick that spot? You know, no <laughs> no 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 problem with Wildwood, but it was I guess it just logistics made it the place to go so um but i'd never been there i don't think
0: yeah it was kind of a longer story but it was uh it had to do with our uh partners in the venture um where uh that it was more convenient for them um so uh, it wasn't really our choice in fact we uh desperately did not want to have it in wildwood new jersey again no shade to wildwood but i think we just wanted uh an easier city to uh that people could travel to slightly more accessible city
2: like Honolulu. Oh,
0: know. that'd be nice. Honolulu yeah. was
1: yeah. Uh, on the short list. <laughs> <Yep>.
0: <laughs> so what's new? What what's uh, what's been going other than the hernia? And I'm sorry to hear about that. Glad you're recovering. But what uh, what's been going on?
2: So now my Facebook wall is full, full of uh, mesh lawsuits.
0: Oh no! What kind of lawsuits? That,
2: that's, that's that's evidently I I googled hernia trying to you know Google oh. doctor myself, and now <laughs> I'm getting all the banner ads for uh, hire a lawyer to sue your. The people that put your mesh in for your hernia and I thought oh
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs>
2: something I don't I do not want to hear right now I don't want to hear about any failure problems with it but uh, uh we are now I actually had a very small office in the basement it was never really exactly what I wanted it was kind of like a corner uh, of a closed off secure area at the basement but just now this week uh, we're doing the final finish on the basement so I'm finally going to have a room is just my room and it's not in the middle of anything. It's going to be completely secure with the door that will completely shut. So I'll have to go find a place to hide if I want to have a good <laughs> conversation. So it's, it's good. The back cave is beginning and is literally the far back corner of the basement, completely underground. So it's a, it's a, it's a good spot. I'm really happy to get that done. So I'll be glad when I get better and I'm able to get up, I'm going to do some of the finish work on the walls and, uh, flooring help with that, but, I've got a handyman here now that's doing the uh, drywall and the, you know, walling it in and doing all the drywall and some of the floor work. And uh, my wife had actually has a boutique in the basement too on the other side, and they've expanded that quite a bit bigger.
0: Oh, that's cool. We hire our
2: daughter-in-law to run that, so it's not even connected to the my my business at all. It's you you can't even get into it the same way.
1: Now you mentioned that it's the Bat Cave, and I'm trying to picture what is in Todd Matthews' Bat Closet. Is it, well, well,
2: it I'm gonna it's gonna have some old stuff and new stuff. I've got stuff <laughs> that are things that I've had for years. You know, that was great grandparents stuff. You know, a few hand me down antique type things that I want to put in there, and then you know some of the modern stuff. You know, I want to have some modern things. But I I, I definitely am going to make the walls look cave like on two two of the walls that are exterior walls. I want to make them have that stony look, like like they're really a cave. Not not too tacky, but uh,
1: when Tasteful. I say the bat
2: cave, it's the bat cave. Yeah.
1: Tasteful stone walls. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah.
2: Not not I don't want really to look like a somebody coming here and thought, oh my God, this is a comic book person. It's <laughs> it's like not, but it's it's enough that, you know, this is truly the Batcave. So, so hopefully this is my final resting place. <laughs> hopefully this is the last office I'll <laughs> put together. Oh my god. And I can just finish out my life here.
0: Todd, you uh you and and your relationship with death is really just um, something that uh I don't know, it gives me energy when, when I hear you talk about it make jokes and and things like uh so you're in a basement your your work is in a basement so is, is it is that comfortable <laughs> yep. for you being underground since some so much of your work has to do with oh yeah it's not it's not a it's not a problem <laughs> it's not a problem at all
2: and it, it well it's the air it, it's the climate i like it you know it's it's very it's cool and it's just it's just a very comfortable climate for me i don't i really i like a warm climate tropical but you know you get hot and this is you don't really need air conditioning or anything. It just stays pretty much the same all year round back in this corner.
1: And is there a secret door in your backyard that you um, peel, like roll back the the fake <laughs> grass, and then the door's there, and you can you can access it that way? I, fan, I
2: fantasize about that. <laughs> <laughs> I do, I will say that. I would like to have a back door to get out of here where I could get, get out if I wanted to. I'd love to have that. But once I'm back in this little corner, it's fight or die. <laughs> <So> it's, <laughs> it's, it's whatever. If something comes at me, it's, yeah. we're either I'm going to kill you or it's going to kill me, one of the two.
1: So. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't imagine anything <laughs> wanting to uh, wanting to attack you that wasn't, uh, <laughs> yeah, psychotic.
2: It'll be good, though. They finally get in a spot where I can just kind of curate my garbage and just have a spot.
0: Okay, Todd. So let's talk about Tent Girl. Tell us what that meant for you in your life. Was that a very big moment for you at that point?
2: Yes, yeah, Tent Girl definitely was. It was it was uh, October of 1987, and my future wife of now 31 years uh, walked into the high school with her sisters, and I noticed her right away. And I told my friend that was sitting right next to me, and I said, that's a girl I'm going to marry. I was 17, and she was 16. I don't know why I said that, but Lori looked familiar. I felt like I'd known her forever. I mean, it was like, like seeing a ghost. I saw somebody that I knew and I don't know why, and I still don't know why now we still talk about that. And, uh, in study hall, she ended up in my study hall that afternoon. Of course she gravitated over and we started talking and it was Halloween time of the year. So she started telling ghost stories. And she mentioned a body her father had found in 1967, 20 years earlier. And, uh, she was wrapped in a canvas tent wrapper, so she was known as the tent girl, as a Jane Doe. That story, when she told me that story, it sounded familiar. It sounded so familiar that it was like I could never stop thinking about it after that. I thought, I know this story. And then years into it, you become part of the story. So, um, and I still, that's, that's been one of the most strangest twists that I've ever had is the involvement in the tent girl and how it become part of our life. And now a daily part of our life nothing that we see or do, our lives, our jobs, nothing, is not something that that sparked in light. Yeah. I can't tie anything back in my existence to a, something that had nothing to do with
0: temper. <laughs> Amazing. So, okay, so Tent Girl was a Jane Doe that was found um, in Scott County, Kentucky in 1968 yes. by Wilbur Riddle. And you were able to identify Tent Girl?
2: Uh, Well, Authorities identified, or I'll say that, I I found evidence that supported that it could be a person. You know, I brought together what I thought to be a theory, and, you know, and I took it to law enforcement and took them three days to call me back. The only reason they called me back was because my father-in-law found the body, and they told me that. You know, it was like they, they would have nuts that would call over the years with just wild theories, psychics, everything. People would just call, and, you know, and the name recognition gave me a call back and I, I, my sister-in-law actually left the report because she still lived in Scott County. She told him to call me. She gave him enough information to know it was part of the family that had discovered the body. And that's that's why he called me back. And now we're good friends. You know, the former sheriff of Scott County, we all, you know, of course we're all friends now. We've done a TV show about two years ago, year before last, I think, of uh, Who Killed Jane Doe, and we, we recounted the story of the tent girl. And it's the first time that me law enforcement and the former sheriff i mean the former sheriff and the family kind of all sat down together got to flesh out their story a little more for a change you know tent girl for the most part was taught in tent girl up for you know years 20 years now but you know i always wanted to know a little more and i wanted the public to know who was tent girl she was a mother and and we got to show that on that on that episode i think that was great
1: yeah, I think that that's something that goes missing a little bit when when you talk about, or when anyone talks about Tent Girl or any um, any Doe that is uh, is discovered, you know any any identity that's that's uncovered, you miss the the history of that person. Can you tell us a little bit about who Tent Girl really was?
2: Well, she was Barbara Hackman Taylor. You know, she married a man. He had a false name, uh, and, and yeah, I don't want to spoil it for everybody. They need to watch the Who Killed Jane Doe episode of the Tent Girl, but. Uh, she married a man that wasn't who he thought she thought he was, and um, one thing led to another. He traveled with the carnival, and then unfortunately, we think that he killed her. And it never really can show on that episode specifically what happened, but we have recollections of the children that were present, the conversations they heard, the noises they heard, and it just you can kind of put it together. And I never had a doubt when I saw the name, you know, and I found her on a website kind of like uh, Craigslist. It was called Crane and Hibbs. And I was looking, I got back up one night in January of 87, 97, I'm sorry, uh, 98. And I was looking for missing persons and and the internet was not like it is today. It it was in no way like it is today. I mean, kids today would not understand the internet back then. It was very, a lot less pictures, very young, very primitive compared to today. And uh, I found missing, I was looking for missing sister, daughter, mother, Anything, any kind of combination, just over and over and over, repeat, target in certain areas. If I thought it might be more likely she was missing from Kentucky, Lexington, I would focus on that area. And I saw her sister, 10 girls' own family, her own sisters, they kind of recollected themselves. The girls had grown up, and they were looking for what happened to their mother. And so they had already started to collect on that end. So the presence was there. They were getting bigger, and they wrote a letter, Kind of like you would have a, like a missing dog. You would have a uh, lost telephone and everything on this list. I saw my sister was last known to be alive in December of 1967 in Lexington, Kentucky. Give a big brief description of her. That was her. Never had a doubt. That was the first time I picked up and said, that's her. Um, and I mean, I've seen a lot of them where I looked, maybe looked them twice. Like, eh, no, that can't be. That person was seen past the point when this body was found. So I was going through all of that, why it can't be. That was the first time that I said, that's her. How did you know? That day, it was a feeling like none other. I mean, I've never felt like that ever, never before or after. It was just like a big weight lifted off, and it was like it was over. There was a lot of pressure with Tent Girl. There's a lot of, if I stopped looking for her because of financial or just hitting a wall and just getting tired of it, you know, I had such a terrible feeling. And I don't know how to describe it. You know, short of a haunting, it was guilt. It's like, I need, you need to get back on this. I've never had anything pulled at me like that then. Nothing, nothing I've ever let get to me like that. When I saw that name and the contact information of how to get a hold of them, it was over. Wow. That heavy presence was gone.
0: So you said you felt guilty not working on it more?
2: Yes, if I stopped. Of course, I was in my 20s. I was just a dumb kid, and people didn't, didn't hesitate to tell you that. Or this is not natural. This is not healthy for you to be working on something like this. Let the cops deal with it. This is not your business. This is not your job. And you get all of that. And it's you know, it just get very frustrating. And, and long distance at the time, people today might not understand that you just didn't have an unlimited cell phone at the time. I've had phone bills back in the 90s of
0: $200. Yes. Sir. And you're
2: making just above minimum wage. You know, Lori wasn't happy about that. Yeah. She would call her mom. Her mom lived in Indiana. They moved to Indiana after they left here. And, uh, you know, it was 10 cents a minute. So you had to, like, ration your telephone calls, you know, to try to call your mom, talk to her once a week. 10 minutes was you know, it, it could start adding up really quickly. Hey, $0. 10 cents a minute, 15 cents a minute. You know, we were shopping for whatever long distance we could get for the cheapest cost per minute. And yeah. I wouldn't even think about it. It's unlimited.
1: Right. I know. Yeah. And I think that's something that a lot of people uh, have trouble wrapping their heads around, including myself, uh, even though I was alive during that time and, and experienced that, but you just get so used to what you have at your fingertips now and, that's just like, you know, living your, your regular life. You as a citizen looking into uh, this unidentified woman, I, mm-hmm. I, I mean, now all of the resources you have it feels unlimited. Back then, you're operating off of a, a landline with a primitive Internet and, you know, staying up late at night to do this. Um, what kept you, other than the guilt, like what what kept you going?
2: I just, I had a sense of commitment to her. I felt like, and you know, and I think I've told you guys before, I had a brother and sister at passed that I was alive and, and witnessed it and knew it. You know, they died as infants and one brother that's still alive, but I saw the impact on the family, but I can still go where they're buried.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: So, I mean, at least I have that. And I thought here I'm going to her grave in somebody else's place that can't be here. And then, you know, as, as the years passed, you know, when you're 20, you think you're going to live forever. And then you get close and you get, well, there might not be enough time for people to actually visit her grave and know what happened to her. So I can't just be a foster family member that'll visit the grave and pay respects. It's like she needs to be where she's supposed to be. You know, and that was the whole thing. And and I grew up a lot with that, you know, the obstacles that were in the way might not even exist today as obstacles, like the long distance and uh, not having Google maps to get there and take you right exactly to where a place is. Uh, you know, all of that stuff's been taken away for us. You know, there's a whole new set of obstacles now, you know, for things like that. But uh, but with her, it was just a matter of time. Time was ticking, and I just wanted her to be where she was supposed to be. She could at least be as well off as my brother and sister.
1: And you yourself went through uh, a pretty significant health scare as a young child, right?
2: Yes, I had, a, uh, I had open heart surgery at eight. Now, I remember growing up. I'd always known I had a heart condition, so that was, you know, and, and usually we would go to Vanderbilt, and I paid attention more than most children did, and I could hear, you know, I heard the conversation. It didn't sound good, you know. I never expected to be an adult person. I could get that from the conversation. My mom and dad would try to be a little more discreet with it, but the doctors would use terms that they didn't think I understood, but I did. I did know that. Yeah, I remember going in for my into the operating room. I wasn't asleep. They thought I was. I wasn't asleep. They had to fight me pretty hard. But uh, that one of the people rolling me said something that said this kid won't ever make it out of his teens. Aww. And you, and you hear that, you know, that 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 beats into your brain. It's like I never expected to be alive today. I really didn't. I never had the uh, uh, idea of being a grandfather or anything like it.
1: None. This was a result of Agent Orange.
2: That's what we think. Uh, you know, Daddy had multiple uh, illnesses from it. You know, there were some tumors. He, he's still alive today and he's fought through all of it. But uh, he was directly impacted with Agent Orange. And we never had any type of uh, illnesses in our family that like this up until that point.
1: And that was in that was in Vietnam. He, he fought in Vietnam. Yes. Mm-hmm.
2: Yes. And Veterans Day of all days today. And he's still I mean, I I'm almost 50 and I've been fortunate to have both my mom and my dad with me all these years. That's and great. have always been there for me to help me with anything I ever needed.
0: Did that experience and and seeing your siblings, and uh, then with Tent Girl, like uh, g- give you this perspective on death. Like uh, you, I, I've never seen anyone kind of joke about death. You almost like needle death, like as if like death is like a friend of yours, and you guys joke around. He stops by. I move. Not today.
2: <laughs> so. Well, you do. You do get a. a not, I won't say a fondness, but you do get uh, – it's an acceptance. I know, it, I know it's going to be. I'm not happy about it, but it's like it's going to be. Uh, I might as well accommodate life. I mean, if you plan on, like, I'm never going to die. I'm never going to do this, never going to do that. I mean, that's not reality. That's living in a fantasy world. You are going to. There's nothing you can do about it. You know, uh, prepare for it. In more ways than religious ways. You know, like, I want to find out, like, what – what do I want to happen to this house after I die? You know, I built this house like nothing else I've ever done. We built it in a way that we could live out our lives here. We plan to live and die here. And, uh, you know, I want it to be here for my kids. You know, I want them to be able to afford it. I want it to be paid off and be ready for them. So I think of things like that. Yeah, I want to make sure this is completely paid for so that they can have a place to go to for the rest of their lives if, if they want to keep it. I'd like for it to be something that would stay in the family and not just something that's sold off later.
0: Now, uh with, with Tent Girl and you work on, on that case, do you think any part of that was you trying to impress Lori?
2: No, because it didn't. <laughs> it, didn't it didn't impress her. That's <laughs> the whole thing. It did <laughs> when it was over. You know, it did and, and it certainly does now because she realized that was my college. Yeah. I just didn't know it. It was it was my college and you struggled in college and I struggled with Tent Girl. It wasn't easy.
0: But that uh, wasn't uh, it wasn't your motivation at the time.
2: No, I felt a personal obligation to it. I mean it's like I knew Lori and I knew tent girl, but not necessarily together. If that makes sense, it's like two two individuals that I've encountered that I feel an incredible pull toward, and it wouldn't. You know, I don't want to say it, nothing like a year of love at first sight. It was it was more than that. I mean, it was like I knew her. It was just like like you just woke up and you recognized somebody you didn't know yesterday. There, I know her. That's the person I'm supposed to stay with till the end.
1: What were you doing professionally? While you are looking into Tent Girl.
2: Uh, well, I went to work at the factories. You know, we started out. Uh, uh, garment factory was the first thing here. And the garment industry is gone from here now. But uh, uh, just sorting bundles and that type of thing, working in a cutting room. That didn't last very long. I'd worked in a grocery store and I met Lori. I was working part-time for my uncle. And then you, know, you had to get a big, big boy job then. So we both went to work for a garment factory, worked together. Because there was always some kind of need that we needed to be kind of close together. I, I don't know. I just always felt like we needed to be somewhere within arm's reach of each other. And so we tried that, and I ended up going to Hutchinson. It's an automotive factory, and I spent 20 years there before all of this blew up. You know, um, things had to evolve from Tent Girl. You know, once identification was made, there was several years later that a little growing up had to happen, you know, and, and it had to set in. You know, and people got to hearing about Tent Girl, and it kept reverberating. The same problem would come up with unidentified, and they'd say, but wait. The internet did this for this one. How can we do that? So it kept bringing people back to me, and I would engage with them. Even single uh, single opportunities with medical examiners. It's like I want to put this on donor network, and we would we would help them. We would do it. We would put their case up, and uh, at least get the word out. You know, we didn't even have a handle on how many John or Jane Doe's were out there. It was like they were just randomly, and you know, nobody had really tried to coalesce something together to have an idea of who these are and once you start putting them together the samuel little things start to pop out you know the the trends like wow seven of these were redheaded and were strangled mm-hmm. you know that's when we were able to start putting together trends and things like that to figure yeah. out like wow and you would i remember telling line four percent like we would say something very similar just a far enough distance apart that word of mouth wouldn't have uh, shed a little light on it and just say hey you know there's another body just like that one in this area and there was one with tent girl, too, one in Pennsylvania. A girl had been put in a bag, and we think that it was unrelated. Um, but I don't know that. I don't know for a fact. Candace Clothier, I don't, I don't really know that it was unrelated.
1: Does the uh, thought of, like, a serial killer in any one of these cases cross your mind? It must, right?
2: Oh, yeah, definitely. And you see things, and, you know, and sometimes it may or may not be uh, something of any significance. Sometimes it's just coincidence, but then other times it can be more.
0: Mm-hmm
1: and uh I'm curious about not to uh uh regress in the conversation, but the relationship between you and your father in law was that strained at all due to uh your investigation into tent girl because that was his case that was his story
2: yeah it kind of was i think uh, I don't think it, it, when I was working on it i don't he didn't understand what I was doing in the first place he know I'd ask a lot of questions and he was happy enough to be the person to answer your question but uh But when I identified her, he said, you know, it's like, well, I found her. It's like, well, yeah. But you see in a lot of these cases today, uh, it's what he didn't understand. Like a lot of these John and Jane Doe's found by passerby. You know, so he didn't get that. You know, it was like the fact that I identified her as his son-in-law reinforced him, his own role. So it's like he was fighting against me. It's like this reinforced you because now it's part of your family. That helped resolve this. As a team, we were on both ends of this. It made him more significant, but he never didn't really see that. He saw that I was getting uh, opportunities and accolades for things that he didn't and he couldn't have done. I mean, he couldn't have done anything with the internet. There was nothing he could have done. And and you don't get a set on the payroll because you found tent girl. You yeah. don't. I mean, that, yeah. Uh, he. Did, I don't think he understood what I had to do. You know, like right now, what I do on a daily basis doesn't directly have anything to do with the tent girl, other than proximity of putting me here. Yeah. It has nothing to do with it. But it's the things I learned from helping resolve that
0: case. So what did you – is there any, any, like, strategy that you uh, applied during your tent girl uh, search um, that is still relevant today in this uh, age where the Internet has moved forward so far?
2: Well, I think it was one of the first times somebody took a Jane Doe and put her on the Internet as a uh, wanted poster type of thing. It, it might have been the first time. But that was a, you know, that idea seemed strange at first. And then Clark County, Nevada, did more than that. They actually put morgue photos, and I was a little appalled at that. You know, I learned, I met Matt Murphy. He was a coroner there, and I thought "Uh, maybe the facial approximations are better for John and Jane Doe's instead of the horrible death scenes that you don't want families to remember. But as a coroner, he reminded me of something. It's the same as when you have to pull that sheet back for somebody to make an identification in the morgue. We're just doing it electronically. So he was right. You know, it was like sometimes you can't sugarcoat them. Now, I worked a lot with forensic artists. We created a forensic artist project called Project Eden, and it still goes today. You know, it's volunteer professional artist. And a lot of times we would take uh, some of the real morgue photos and maybe take away some of the trauma you know, maybe not do a full reconstruction, but maybe just take away some of the trauma because you know good and well if you have a deceased loved one, you might not recognize them if you mm-hmm. saw them. You know, I, my uncle passed away, he had a heart attack, and they took off his glasses, and they he they took his teeth out. I wouldn't have known him. Yeah. I would not have known him. So I didn't want people to overlook them too fast because a lot of times with forensic art, they're taking away that trauma, but it, it is a completely new picture, and it, it can be uh from basically from a skull or, or part of a skull. So you're... You know, it's, it's an approximation, but if we took the real ones, it's like, okay, so this one has a little bit of blood in the nose, can I take away the blood? Yeah. To at least spare that, so. you know, that's the thing, at least spare that memory, and uh, and it's it's worked, you know, I've worked a lot with the Arizona, uh, Bruce Anderson in Pima County, I can't tell you how many photographs he's sent that we've uh, just took away a, a, a wound, or a bruise, or just took the swelling down just a little bit. And all of this is outside of NamUs. This is what I was doing before NamUs. Now, oh. now, the, now the NamUs strategy, you know, I'm working in marketing and, and looking for ways to promote NamUs more so than in the field today. But, you know, that that doesn't, you know, you'll get a case, you'll have people, your family that will call, and they're trying to search a database. And you help them, you see things, and, you know, it's hard to get away from that. It's like when a cop retires and goes and does something in his uh, retirement that's kind of like a consultation-type business it's hard to get away from that when that's in your nature.
1: And how do you handle all the fame and fortune and you know frankly the 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 women like how do you handle all of that? Oh, you just
2: you just got to run faster.
1: <laughs> <laughs> do you have any plans to to write a book about your experience or maybe you know can we see this uh you know the the Todd Matthews story starring um starring, uh, you know, Willem Defoe. Willem Defoe is Todd Matthews.
2: <laughs> well, you know, every, a lot, most people do write a book when they're done with their professional career. So, I mean, I'm not going to, you know, say I, it just seems huge right now to think about that. But I think everybody should at least document some of the things uh, that occurred during that pathway just, just to let people know. And I get a lot of opportunities to work on scripted and non-scripted. Can't say who, but I do have somebody that's very interested in a scripted program with me right now. That would uh, it'll be about kind of the people that we were during the the upheaval of Tent Girl, that type of thing. And and I got called on a lot of different things. It wasn't always missing and unidentified during those years right around the Tent Girl. and After it was uh, unsolved homicides. It was there were so many offshoots that uh, people were trying to apply the same thing. Like, well, you could do this with information. Can you do that? And sometimes you could. Uh, put information out there and uh, get feedback from the public. I mean, I'd literally have people come into the House. A news article about we're working on this this case, we're not sure if it was a homicide or not, and I'm just trying to help law enforcement gather more details. Have people come into the House, and they would tell you, here's what I know about it. Here's what I know about that. And they didn't always want to talk to law enforcement, but they would talk to me.
1: And I think one of the burning questions that people probably have at this point is when are we going to hear the Todd Matthews podcast? on the crawlspace network
2: i would be too busy right now but uh i I did that i did missing pieces for a while uh back in 2007 2006 and 7 i did 100 episodes and ironically some of the people that i interviewed for that turned out later to be people that were very relevant in this world like jan smolensky and uh mike murphy he's a coroner jan smolensky is the mother of a uh, billy smolensky a missing adult from connecticut uh, the help find the missing act at the national level that we broke off into state level now was originally based on her son wow. so it was you know ch- that that original narrative is what we used it didn 't pass nationally and I think it was easier to pass at a state level when you could customize it for the states so it, it's just a little longer in process but uh some of those people are the people that I met along the way and uh, you know i think a podcast would be great but it, it'd be really deep in the weeds for me right
0: now how about re-releasing those episodes that you already did so we can start there
2: some now there there should be some still there that you can see a missing pieces info uh what we did we transcribed them back in the day the internet was harder to search so even back in that time period i had volunteers that would transcribe the episodes so that you could read them and they were available in searches so that's been a good thing. Some of the original audio I've lost. Some and we would literally tape it over the telephone and upload it. And uh, we took some down at people's request. I've had a lot of television shows that are doing specials on some of these cases now, and they want to license the audio or the clip of of, of the actual episode. And uh, you know that's always a yes if somebody wants that. You know, take it if it. That's why it's there. Yeah. Please reference my show. <laughs> you know, that's great. You know, so I'm, I'm not going to get in a complicated contract with somebody to license a, a small clip of something that I that I put there for that purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, so if, if you can see it, you can use it. Right. That's what I usually tell people. So, uh, you know, great. I want to make sure it's something the family would appreciate happening. And sometimes it's a clip of somebody interviewed that are now deceased, and that's the only audio they might have had of that person.
0: Right, and that's why we always tell everyone no who uh, asks to use anything from us. We say, you get your own interview. Get your own interview. Yeah, you do yourself, yeah. Or, or you... <laughs> fork over some money <laughs> well you 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 send us a 10 page contract and a big thick check <laughs> a see i check. didn't
2: know the value see, and i was building something then again it was something i built that i didn't know there was going to be an invested value in right i didn't know that what's you know it, i didn't know it what, would have any value to
1: it what's it like being so um like humble humble uh, ahead of you know ahead of your time i mean you you are a man ahead of his time you you had a podcast before they were a thing you were a citizen detective you're a superhero and you're <laughs> yes. like and, and you're like uh you know i just got my little basement here
2: i just hope that i've done something now that i'll realize in a couple of years is really good really cool <laughs> because i'm running out of tricks <laughs> so you know life has changed though when you um you know a lot of the focus now is on grandchildren you know it's, it's, it's that type of thing. A lot of it is what, what kind of legacy are you going to leave for them? And, you know, the struggles of raising children and grandchildren is, is a lot of focus. So um, I feel like we lit a lot of fires back in the day, but there's finally the day that it's like, I ain't got nothing left. You know, it's, it's, I've thought of everything I could think of. Uh, I think now, just maybe like you said, the book and, and documenting some of the everything that happened in between and some of the crazy things that happened, like with uh, uh, just ironically, and I, I mm-hmm. just don't know how some of the things that have happened to me have happened without some sort of orchestration that I did not do.
1: Understood. I was too young and didn't know how. Understood. You got... I mean, that's
2: crossing pace at the right time. You meet somebody that you knew. And now we work together here. Now we both work in house. She works from home. Past 10 years, we both work from home. So again, we're together.
1: Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, so the universe is clearly uh, delivering some it messages. Put us right back. Yeah, and and delivering some messages to you, and you're receptive to them, and you don't overanalyze the why, you just move with uh, with with the, the the task at hand, and it, it typically ends in something positive and something productive happening in the future. Um, it you...
2: always has. I mean, there's no, no struggle we've been through that we didn't get paid back ten times over. And it's like the universe picked us up and used us and now put us in a happy little spot and it's just like okay you're you're good you're okay you, you guys have got jobs that are uh, not physically difficult to do mentally they are but as long as we're sharp in the brain that we can do it and uh you can learn a good living you can be close to your family you're together okay I'll take it
1: well he- hearing hearing you puts me in a good spot
2: well i, ta- <laughs> I have to top myself into this every now and then too so uh, yeah it is it, you know and know everybody has depression you know and I have people that said you're always so upbeat, and it's like that's the treatment. Yeah. You know, I read a book, uh, something with Lucille Ball years ago and it says behind the laughter, you know, there was a lot of struggles going on behind that laughter, but laughter yeah. is truly the best medicine. I can life myself into something. There's times where you feel really down and just about everything like getting older and your parents are getting older and you gotta find a buddy or somebody that you always laugh with and just Find the funny things and laugh at it, you know, as much as you can. Make fun of something that deserves it <laughs> and then just, <laughs> just laugh it out. And there's always somebody that deserves it. So <laughs> there's no shortage of that. Yeah.
0: Yep. Lance does deserve it. And even us.
2: You know, you make fun of each other or yourself. It's the best thing. You know, I, if I get offended, I just won't talk to myself for a right. week or so. So that's, <laughs> that's good.
0: Is there
1: a particular tent girl uh, that you're working on now that you would like to see uh, brought to a conclusion?
2: Now, I can't have favorites with this, but uh, I mean, there are, you know, some that are close to you that are physically ge- geographically close to your area. You do wonder because you wonder about like, I probably walked up that trail or that person. What if they were right here? You know, you it, you know, it's just natural human curiosity on those things. You, you see them. Uh, there was a case from the late 90s from Campbell County, Tennessee. Uh, It was the first case that we did a facial reconstruction for. It was a Jane Doe shot through the skull and, you know, I had her skull for a period of time. I took it to a forensic artist and literally had a skull in a duffel bag. My first skull in a duffel bag. (laughs) So when you get this close to seeing things death, uh, the part that most people don't get to see that behind the scenes, you know, you get a little used to it. It's it's um and get more comfortable with it. It's like it's inevitable. Yeah. So you might as well know as much about it as you can. It doesn't have to be the great unknown completely. It's just, it's just what's going to happen next. And I think we have a realistic approach to it. I dread it more than anything with my mom and dad. But, I mean, we're having conversations like, okay, so not like wheels and things like that. It's like, okay, how are we going to carry out this structure when you're not part of it? Well, what do you want? Mm-hmm. How do you want us to do this? So it's not like dividing your goods up so much it is. It's, it's like your will. What what is it? What would you like to see happen with this family? Should you not be part of it? And we've had these conversations. I have with my brother quite often. You know, like well, what do you want to do? And how are we going to preserve this? And how are we going to make sure this stays this way for as long as possible? You know, and how do we instill this in our children? Mark has no children. I got two boys and two grandsons. It's like, and he's there for me. How are we going to instill these beliefs? And and good things in these kids so that they'll believe it. They won't just do it because we tell them to. They do it because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. That's that's things we think about.
1: Does your family ever take you aside and they're they're just like, geez, Todd, like stop with the death, stop with the death <laughs> talk.
2: No, not usually. It just it just it's such a reality. So and yeah. we don't approach it in a way where it's so dark. It's just like okay, so we're going to think about this now. What what are we going to do with this? Or or like a, like if my dad has a project, it's like you realize I'm not going to be able to maintain this for you. Like, he's got tractors. I don't drive tractors. I can't drive tractors. So it's like I'm not going to have all these tractors probably to, to rot down around me.
1: Yeah.
2: What do you want me to do with them? You know, uh, I don't want to just sell them or something. But my oldest son seems to have a mechanical ability. So I think he will be our next person that will handle it because we need these. I mean, we got about 8 to 10 acres here. We, we kind of need them, but I'm just not uh, – it's too late for me to learn how to do any of that, and I'm certainly not going to work on them.
1: If we send you some crawlspace decals, can you put them on the side of the tractors and they can be your crawlspace tractors?
2: Could, and take a picture of it. That'd be awesome. I will send it <laughs> to you. <laughs> Done. Perfect. I'm living in my crawlspace now. There you <laughs> go. It's,
1: it, everything comes together. The universe yeah. is is literally. It's conspiring s- in our favor. Screaming and conspiring at us. Yes.
2: Well, it's coming in, and things like this come. Something just just taking time to reflect on things like this talking to you guys. Something to pop up. Yeah. Uh, you, you'll see. Some, something to pop up. I mean, usually I'll get some movement on a project just because I think that I focused on it and cleansed my mind a little bit, took the normal daily things out just had a conversation. It was kind of fun, you know. You don't get to do this every day.
1: This is a question that I've never asked anybody, but I'm, for whatever reason, very curious about uh, in regards to you. What's a Todd Matthews dinner look like? What's your favorite thing for dinner?
2: Well, I'm trying to do low-carb now. Now, what I would really like is mashed potatoes. It's bread. Bread, for me, is the thing that I can't eat. The carbs, I can't eat. If I stop eating the carbs, I can eat. Everything else I want and not gain any weight if I dump the carbs.
1: Well, the carbs. uh,
2: That is my enemy is the carb. And that is the thing that I want more than anything is bread. I could eat a mashed potato sandwich. (laughs) I would love it. (laughs) <laughs> but today i'll probably get a hamburger with no bun if i'm on the boat or here if, if i if we have like a calzone or something with bread unless i throw the bread in the water immediately i will eat it later you have a boat yeah we have a little, little small house but we stay on that uh on the weekends through the warm months it just it's they're like 36 foot just small little boat but uh in fact the premise of one of the scripted shows was going to put somebody living on a houseboat working on some of these crimes and the name of my boat is suspicious minds Mm-hmm.